This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 13, Episode 11. This is Writing Excuses, writing secondary characters with Charlene Harris, live from Gen Con. We are so happy to have Charlene on the podcast, writer and editor extraordinaire. Um, Thank I've, you. I've been in one of her anthologies. It was a super uh, experience. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, um, I've been writing since uh, my first book was published in 81, so I've had a long career. Um, I've uh, been around many publishing houses and many editors. I have uh, I started writing on an electric typewriter. Computers a lot better. And I've just been in this business and seen a lot of changes. And you've had you've had at least two, three television shows? Yeah, three. Yeah, three television shows going? <laughs> just three. Only three. Just, just three. Um, so, Charlene, you wanted to talk about writing secondary characters. We were talking beforehand, and you said this is something you particularly enjoy. I do. Uh, why? Why do you enjoy writing secondary characters? Because um, it's it's easy to make your protagonist come to life. You concentrate so much on the protagonist. You build a protagonist from zero, from a little seed. They grow and grow and grow, and you add more and more to their personality and their world and what made them the way they are. But I hate it when I see secondary characters who could be very rich mm-hmm. uh, kind of go by the wayside So I really love uh, to create secondary characters and uh, also to make them very interesting and vivid and also to create characters I can use later on, like the workhorses Mm -hmm. of the book. You know, I don't like to waste things by using them one time. I like to use them over and over. Yeah. Well, and it's especially great in a series uh, to have those show up later and, and you come to really love them. One of my favorite book series is The Saxon Tales by Bernard Cornwell. And it is great to see someone who is such a minor character in book two now is a major character by book seven. And you get to, and it's because of that richness that's built into them. I agree that it, it's a lot of fun to find more uses for the same character the further and further you go into the books and how they can evolve and become, as you say, a more major character. So I've got a question for you. We're talking about how we're building them. Like, how much pre-writing do you do specifically for characters, uh, and how much do you just let it uh, develop naturally? I let it all develop naturally. Okay. <laughs> all. That's uh, I, I don't plan very much. Mm-hmm. I create a character when I need the character, and the character has a function in the book, mm-hmm. but I try to make them multidimensional enough and interesting enough uh, to keep them running through the book uh, because they can keep being useful to me all the way through. Uh, some were useful to me through 13 books in, in the Suki series. Some are just useful through four or five books. But everybody's got to work in my world. Nobody gets a free ride. Um, yeah. It seems to me that if you're, if you're writing for television and actors have to actually take on the roles of these secondary characters – that if the actor says, so what's my motivation, there has to be an answer. There has to be, the, the secondary character has to have a lot of life for it to work on 
TV. Yeah, how much influence do you have over the television? A lot of people uh, ask zero. Me. Zero. I was, okay. was going to jump in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not writing for television. I'm writing my book the best way I can, and the characters have to work in my book. When the television writers want to mm-hmm. write my their version of my book, that's their problem. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they have to work their own their own uh, hitches out. Yeah, I was going to say that one of the things when you say having an actor go to the the writer and say, "What's my motivation?" That's luxury. That <laughs> never <laughs> that never happens. happens. Uh, one time, uh, the actress who played uh, the Monad in mm-hmm. True Blood, whose name um, totally escapes me, uh, came to me and said, what would a monad wear? I said, nothing. (laughs) She said, no, really, if she wore clothes, what would she wear? I said, she wouldn't wear anything. She's a monad. Monads don't wear clothes. You know, they live in the woods. They're animals. They're people animals, sort of. They're not going to wear anything. And she just, you know, she was just arguing from a place Mm. I couldn't go because in my world, that just wouldn't happen. Yeah. That was the show's problem to dress her. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the, the biggest problems I see new writers have with secondary characters is making them feel fleshed out and real when there is no viewpoint through their eyes. It seems like naturally as writers, it's very, much easier to characterize someone when we see through their eyes. But those characters on the perimeters who are not necessarily getting a viewpoint, they can feel really flat, um, particularly for a lot of new writers uh, how do you make them come alive? How do you, without ever showing through their eyes? Hmm. Uh, of course, part of it's their interaction. If I'm writing in the first person, uh-huh. and I most often do, not always, but most often, uh, th- their interaction with the protagonist has to be what points them up and what the protagonist tells us about the character, like uh, Terry Belfleur, uh, Vietnam vet, deeply scarred, uh, loves hunting dogs, and he just kind of rolled from there mm-hmm. into a really sympathetic uh, character that I, I ended up liking and respecting a lot because he was making the best of his life. Well, I think that one of the things that you just mentioned when you were describing him, you know, he's a Vietnam vet and he loves hunting dogs. It's, these are two things that would, in some people, be contradictory. And I sometimes think that that's one of the things with a secondary character that helps pull them out is that, uh, that they're not just a single-thread character. Right. Yeah, yeah, you could write a stereotypical Vietnam vet, but to me, uh, he was so deeply scarred, people had disappointed him so much that dogs are a great companion for him, mm-hmm. and that, to me, made the character make sense and gave him an identity and a passion. I, I do need to point out that I totally misheard the sentence as, he loves hunting dogs. <laughs> <laughs> And then when you described him as a sympathetic character, I thought, oh, I want to hear more about how she pulled that off. Yeah, that would have been a bigger challenge. <laughs> One I'm not sure I could meet. All you do is whistle. It's really easy to make up running. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. About a hot dog. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and stop for our book of the week. Uh, Charlene, you're going to tell us about one of your books. I am. Uh, I'm going to tell you about one of, if you want a gateway drug um, mm-hmm. into my world, uh, I might, it, obviously people here are more are people who like an element of the supernatural, most likely. Um, I've written a lot of conventional mysteries, but I like my Harper Conley series. If you've never read anything of mine, that gives you a taste of the, uh, the odd and an, a very odd relationship with a big ick factor. Um, and yet they're, uh, they're basically detective stories, but with an element of the supernatural in them. Awesome. So it's kind of hybrid. You know. What's the first book? The first book is Grave Sight, S-I-G-H-T. Awesome. You guys should all go buy that book and read it. Um, my, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to self-indulge from it. My favorite Charlene Harris story is I was a, like a pretty new author, one of my very first signings, um, and I'm a nobody. But Charlene and I share an agent. Um, and, um, and so I'm doing the signing, and I had my very first signing in New York. Um, and I'm doing the signing, and there's actually a decent crowd. I'm starting to, you know, pick up. I'm still, and then Charlene walked in to my signing. She just waited in the line and went and sat down in one of the seats um, just to add my signing to listen to I'm my I'm going to walk on water. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, you know, this is, this is when, you know, I had just been in the bookstore and looked at the, the top 10 best-selling books of the week, and seven of them were yours in the top 10 list. Um, so, <laughs> so, so, so it was um, actually her chair. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let me ask this uh, to, the, to the group. Um, one trouble I've had with side characters sometimes is I will come up with a quirk to define a side character, which will make them memorable, right? It's great. They've got some weird quirk. They like philosophical questions. They like this or that. But then I have trouble expanding beyond the quirk, and the quirk becomes a cliche for the character. Have you ever had this happen? Um, yep. And how do you break them out of the quirk and make them a person? This is actually a huge problem big enough that it has a name. It's called flanderization ah. uh, because of the character on The Simpsons who over time just became a caricature of himself. Right, right. That's weird. I and I can totally that. think of yeah. it, right? Because Flanders mm-hmm. used to be just like the fun neighbor and now he's just like a string of one-liners about, yeah. yeah. And, and you can watch that. There's entire websites dedicated to it, to all these TV characters who eventually lose their spark of life and just become the writers repeating the same quirks and the same tropes over again. Um, I find what what works for me to keep that from happening is to keep changing who they are. Okay. Uh, to make sure that they have new problems to overcome or new obstacles that they face that will change them subtly so that it kind of kicks them out of their rut. I worked in the other direction. I, uh, <laughs> I built a spreadsheet for the chronology of the universe in order to get a bunch of quotes in the right order for a different project. And as I was writing that, I realized, oh, wait, these two characters were involved in the same war at the same time. How old was she? Oh, my gosh. She totally would have been involved in this. Where was she? What was she doing? And as I did that, you know, just looked backwards at the chronology, um, when the protagonist, when my main characters are doing these things, 
where is everybody else? What are they up to? And as I answered those questions, I learned some neat things about them. <laughs> so one of the things that, that Howard said earlier that I, I laughed at was, you know, the what's my motivation um, is that I do actually try to make sure that I know what each of my characters, uh, what their what their goals are and also what their failure looks failure mode looks like because those are the two things that drive us mm-hmm. and they are not necessarily the same thing um, which you know basically goes back to the everybody's the hero of their own story that I will sometimes I won't do this with tertiary characters but with a secondary character I will sometimes make sure that they have a story that is going on outside everything else so that because uh, every time you walk into a room, there's baggage that you're bringing in from, sure. from the outside world. Yeah. So sometimes if I can do that, it will it will make them seem a little bit more alive and it won't allow them to, to just become the quirk. Uh, reversal of that question then. I have occasionally had side characters become more interesting than the main characters. Yeah. What do you do in that situation? Kill them. Kill them? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> You're serious, though. Yeah. Uh, well, not no, not okay. totally, but you mm-hmm. know, a little bit serious. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> well, if you're writing, if if you're writing uh, horror, if you're writing crime fiction, if you're writing something where the death of a character is uh, would would be the fulfillment of a promise that you made by virtue of where the book was shelved, then that's a great solution. Mm. You're too interesting. Readers really love you. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> you know, I've got a, a way to do that without being quite so uh, so morbid. I don't know if you would never not want to. Why um, would- when I got handed the, the Wheel of Time, one of the things I had was I had a very large cast to deal with. Yeah. Um, and a lot of characters fighting for space. And if I just started, some of them I just offed. I'm like, you're dead. You're gone. Um, I did do that with some. But there were some That's beloved characters um, that, you know, had had arcs and things like this. And I realized you can kind of effectively kill a character by wrapping up their yeah. arc. Right? Even though the book wasn't wrapped up. And so I started giving these characters kind of resolutions to some of these uh, major character arcs that even though they were side characters, they'd been going for a long time. And once a side character's arc gets resolved, they really fade is what I found for readers and for me as a writer. It's like, good, we don't have to keep this person in our head anymore. It has been done. It's good. And then we, I just kind of kind of started checking them off the list, die or get resolved, die or get resolved <laughs> until only the main characters were left, which allowed me to really focus on them for the last part of the books. So if you don't have the, uh, the the problem of dealing with characters that already exist, you know, like in a yeah. long-running series, mm-hmm. um, if it's a one-off, one of the things that I'll do is I'll recast them, which mm. is what Charlene was talking about earlier when she was saying that uh, every character, you know, has to work, that there's a function that they're serving. So I'll look at what the function of the character is. I'm like, okay, so I have essentially put the wrong actor in this role. And mm. I will I will just recast them and uh, and re- keep going. Sometimes what yeah. I'll do is I'll recast where I am and then go back and rewrite the fir- the beginning after I've gotten to the end to uh, to change the characterization, to, to pull stuff out. Another thing you can do to give them dimension is to discover within yourself and, and let the reader know what that character really wants. Mm-hmm. What does that character want? What is he striving for? What does she need more than anything else in the world? And that will give the character an extra motivation and dimension and drive that you might not have had otherwise if they were just goofing around. Yeah. yeah, and if you find that the character is starting to take over the story, a lot of times it's because you've picked a want that is more interesting than your main character's yeah. want. 
And so either you have to bump up what your main character wants and make it more, the stakes more uh, immediate and personal for the main character, or you have to pick a different motivation for your secondary. Yeah, yeah. I've said this before on the podcast, but my one of my biggest hang-ups as a new writer was this. Um, it was the opposite of what you just said. I was not giving my secondary characters uh, enough passion in life outside of the story. My main characters were starting to feel very real, but my side characters were just there to facilitate what the main character was doing. And so everybody fell into a really bad cliche or felt very wooden because they didn't seem to have any life, anything they wanted, other than to facilitate making the main character's life easier or harder if they were an antagonist. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, you you mentioned quirk, but but one of the things that I have found uh, that that can make a character really pop is that that contradiction. Um, So if you've seen The Expanse, uh, the, the first episode uh, one of the the commanding officers on the ship has this collection of glass cats. Mm-hmm. And he's this real hard nose. And you never find out why he has the collection of glass cats. But just that makes him feel like there is a story that exists for this man outside. And it's not that in every scene he has to have a glass cat. You just need that ha- to happen once for the character to suddenly, like, oh, oh, there's obviously more here. Yeah. We are out of time. This has been awesome. Um, I'm going to give us some homework uh, because I thought it would be very interesting to force you to take something you have written already and take the protagonist and make them a secondary character and make the secondary character the protagonist of a different story. Make your main character fade to the background. Make one of your secondary characters come to the front. Write a new story doing that. Cool. I want to thank Charlene. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for inviting me. I want to thank our audience at Gen Con. And this has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 